Hey, Mary. <laughs> oh, hello. I got you off guard. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> that was a really quick hello. Mary Green is never off guard, and I got her. Oh, man. Um, You're funny. Did any of our friends on, a, on the, the thing give us any topics they wanted us to cover? Not yet. Mm, I, saw, I kind of half saw one. I was going to check back. Yeah, we're going to reach out to our community on Mighty Networks, your community on Mighty Networks. I happen to be a, a, a guest in that network, um, a wannabe, as I call myself. Um, I think that one thing you and I were talking about before we started recording, Marin, um, was this this sort of growing need for us to wear multiple hats. And how do we really keep that in balance? I know we did an episode on self-care, but uh, to to put you in the spotlight here for a second, you know, you are a mom of 10, you are a wife, you are a daughter, and you're a concerned human being about the state of the world. And I think that this this is like a part two of the self-care piece. I told you that I've got like an emotional tank that's like maybe 15% full at all times. And so I'm curious, how how does that, you know, how do you go into caring for another person when you're so emotionally drained um, by so many different forces in the world, not least of which is what's going on in the news? Right. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that element just in our chit chat, you know, just the world kind of weighing on everybody in one way or another. And some days I don't like to believe that. But then I think it's real to say we're all being affected, right, and have been for the last couple of years. I listened to this meditation the other night. And it was a sleep meditation. I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping lately. And I really liked it. And it actually kind of worked. Um, But in the meditation, she, this woman, suggested that kind of in feeling your own energy, your own groundedness, that you feel yourself like call back your energy from all the places that you've given it to. Mm. And that was so helpful. And Mm -hmm. I really felt it, you know, and it's like you could name all the all the people, places and things in your head. But even just that like visceral, like, oh, yeah, there's part of myself for better or for worse, like out there, (laughs) out there in the collective. And I need to call it back because I need I need that energy for myself. Yeah. Um, So we're not the only ones having these thoughts, I guess, either. Well, yeah, I mean, like the mystics, this is a a big part of it is that the, the problems of the world are not for us to to fix. And if I haven't learned anything in my life, it's that I've never fixed anybody's problems. I've perhaps given them some tools to try to figure things out or maybe some guidance for them to make, you know, informed decisions in birth. But I think the reality is that if you you wake up in the morning and you're feeling like overwhelmed by the weight of the world and all the things that you want to fix, like that's not on you. It's not your job. And um, I think people who are in birth work in particular struggle with that. And I think it gets into boundary setting a little bit. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. Maybe, maybe that's like a a nice little corollary here, but like, it's not my job to fix your, to fix your shit. It's not. And, um, and it's impossible actually. Like you're saying, right. Well, I mean, and that's why it leads us down this place where we're so drained from trying to solve the, the grapple with the realities of life and the world that we forget that like when I go downstairs from my office and I go in the back door and my little daughter runs up to me, like at that moment, my job right now is for her to be seen. And that's, um, that's not something that's really incentivized in our world. You know, nobody, nobody cares that you spent four hours with a woman who previously had a traumatic birth, except for that woman and perhaps her partner and perhaps you, 
care about that. And I think that, um, I think everybody thinks like, I'm going to be the next greatest big thing. I'm going to start a big international nonprofit. I'm going to solve world hunger or AIDS or whatever, cancer, the battle against cancer. And I'm not so sure that those initiatives even really matter. Like, like it, what the world doesn't need is another person collecting a whole billion dollars and then using it in some way that is meant to solve a problem that is not a problem that can be solved. You know, it's, it's like a part of our own reality that we're grappling with poverty and disease and, you know, homophobia or whatever, like whatever racism, whatever plagues our right. society. Right. And, um, and in so many ways, like the efforts that are required to try to tackle those issues, right, on the big scale, the, the emotional cost of trying to do that supersedes any benefit that we're seeing from those large initiatives. So in some ways... The, the good work in the world is for me to love people like you and for me to love my daughter and to appreciate it when she's, she started saying, thank you, Dada. And it's like, oh, oh my God. Like I my know. job right now is to acknowledge that I'm your dad and that I opened the door for you and you feel like a debt of gratitude. I mean, to acknowledge yeah. that. Like it's those little tiny things that, that, that push the needle forward. It's not the big sweeping reforms or the legislation or... Oh, hooray, we got a we have now have licensure in Kentucky or whatever. Like, great, that's awesome. But is that really going to make any demonstrable difference in the in the care of women? I don't think so. I think that the demonstrable differences come from people like you when you sit down with a person and you listen to them and you make them feel heard, which is not something anybody gives a shit about in the media. Like nobody cares that Marin Green provides quality care from woman to woman, you know, as a you're not even a wise elder. Someday you will be. Um, but as long as we're in reproductive age, I realize we're not really, we're not ever going to be wise elders. You know, we're, we're still trying One to figure day. this out. Yeah. So anyways, I, I said a lot there. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, you did say a lot. I'm trying to think of which direction to go. <laughs> well, down to sitting with people and holding space for them and witnessing, I feel like that's something to talk about because you kind of mentioned having our energy drained, you know, when caring for people. That's kind of how we started. And I think I've been working on it a lot for the last bunch of years, and maybe I will be for a really long time, to be able to hold space in a way that allows me to completely not take it on. Mm. And I think that's really, really hard for people that are compassionate, yes, but also empathic to a certain degree. Um, you know, I work with a mentor and she's a wise elder and she says to me, you can't connect with people on every chakra, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's like, you can't do that unless you want to be, be drained and like potentially hurt yourself. Like it's fine to have a heart to heart connection with someone. It's fine to like hear them and like intellectually understand them, but to feel whatever it is, their pain, their trauma on a deeper level, um, that's where you need to draw the line. And maybe for some people that's really easy, but again, something I'm still working on to be able to like have the container and to keep myself separate in a healthy way. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it really is. Uh, it's those little things that are, are so important, but when we, when we don't have clear boundaries, we then invest too much of ourselves into another person's journey. And, um, you know, like if you, if you see like a, 
a shaman at, at at work like they're they're actively engaged in one activity and at the end of that activity they're so spent that sometimes they'll have to take weeks off it's sort of like integrating a psychedelic journey i know you you aren't a uh, you don't have experiences with psychedelics but you you have had psychedelic experiences without the medicine and um, i think birth may actually be uh, fit into that category but i i could be wrong yeah. um i think it's those i think that when we invest deeply into caring for another person we also have to take be able to step back draw a line and say the, here, here's where i'm going to live over there is where you live that's your domain and i'm going to step over once in a while Exactly. In order to straddle these two places, but but I think the tendency can be there. Of course, this is so obvious to, like you said, problem solve, right? Like, how many people do you sit with and stories you hear where it's like, oh man, maybe this thing will help, and um, you know, to have ideas is great. I think that's why people pay us money too, like to have a list of like. These are all the things you could try. Right. But again, not to be invested and to make it clear to them that I don't have the magic recipe. Like right. I have some ideas, but you have to do the work. Right. So it's also just inviting the people in that want that, you know, because if somebody's looking for you to fix them or save them, um, it's the wrong dynamic and you're going to be pulled in in a way that doesn't feel good. I mean, if you're me or you, I think. Yeah, and yeah, and then and then to go back to the to the little things, I think that um, I think the reason that we get drawn in so deep is that we we take on the role of the savior. You know, it's like a savior role, right. right? And we all do this. We all do this, whether it's with our kids, with our you know our partners, our intimate partners, with our patients, clients, whatever. And and I I keep being drawn back to. I, I remember this um. This book, we have a cookbook by Roy Choi, who's a, um, he was like a truck, like a food truck, uh, um, sort of, um, he's like a, he's like a high level chef, but he got kind of came to fame by operating gourmet food out of food trucks. Like you you don't need a fancy brick and mortar restaurant that, you know, you you have to have to book three months out. You can go and get this great food in LA at his street, street food truck. And, you know, he's got like a straight bin you know, baseball hat, he's covered in tattoos. He's like, not what you would expect to see in an executive kitchen. Um, and he wrote this book and in the book, he's describing the preparation of rice, right? So you could say, I want to make the best, whatever, kimchi sandwich, you know, like I think he had one, it has a recipe for that. So he is, he's like this Asian American fusion and, um, he's like a kimchi sandwich, right? And he's, you're going to make a patty out of rice. So you want to make the best sandwich, but he's like, it doesn't matter. The sandwich doesn't matter. What matters is what attention do you pay to the rice? Yeah. And even in like that, there's a Netflix documentary called Hero Dreams of Sushi. And it talks about this sushi chef. And Oh, I've seen that. I it's, think. it's such a beautiful film. And they talk about... It's sort of sad or something. It, it's a little yeah. depressing based on what we would consider... Uh, success you know within the united states like the framework of you have to build your business make it big you need to make millions of dollars this guy has a a very expensive sushi restaurant in a one of the terminals in the japanese in the um tokyo subway system which is massive and you go in there and it's like a hundred dollars per piece of sushi and um you know it's one of those people that like the food critics go there and they write reviews about and he's like his shop he's probably not even alive anymore but his shop was so successful because they focused on the the minutia right like he didn't invest himself in making the best piece of sushi he started with how do you treat the rice and roy Chui also talked about this in his book he's like 
when you're when you're rinsing your rice, take your bowl to the sink and feel the rice, connect to the rice. Your sandwich is good because you've connected to the ingredients and mm. that you've been there and you just took the time to rinse the rice and let the rice soak and feel the grains between your hands. Maybe grind them between your fingers, like really massage the rice. You're putting your love into the meal. And he's not even a metaphysical guy, but he gets this sort of because he's in the food industry. Like, I want my people to eat food because it feels good to them. And the food is only going to feel good if I focus on the ingredients. And I think we can bring that, that notion into our, our birth practice, you know, I certainly don't consider myself an expert, although people want me to use that label because they want me to be like their expert witness and this and that. Like, I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just a traveler. And we're all, we're all just trying to, to walk one another home, as Ram Dass says. Mm. And, um, and when we care for people, like, I can't focus on the birth. I have to focus on you right now. And then I need to retreat and I need to further hone my craft. And then we go back and we do a little bit more. Oh. And, and in that regard, I'm setting boundaries, but also it implies that there's a certain level of responsibility on the person that I'm here to, quote, save. And, um, and I think that that would be a, a really, really nice transition if all of the midwives and doctors and whatnot, if we just realized we're human, we have to have our own boundaries. We have to have a full tank if we're going to be caring for people. And if we just focused on those minutiae, the things that everybody doesn't care about, the immeasurable things, you know, how did you make the person feel? Not what intervention did you do, but how did you make them feel? Then that takes a little onus off of us as well in order to solve the big problems of the world. Right. They're not ours to solve. And I think you're also speaking of intention. I think that's a simple word for it. Yeah. You know, and I think when we're working with women in particular, that's something I've been doing lately, just more openly. Like when I start a prenatal, I've been just asking people like, hey, what's your intention for today? What are you needing? Um, how are you feeling in your body? You know, sometimes we pull some cards if that helps and yeah. and just kind of like get a focus for today. Not this, like you said, not the huge picture, not like, oh, this birth has to be this way and, you know, it has to go perfectly. Um just support and hearing and seeing where people are at. And that's the work, you know, that's the like non glamorous work of what we do. I think a lot of people think, you know, maybe being a midwife or, or a doctor that attends births is really glamorous. Right. But it's just like one step at a time with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I forgot to set our timer, so I am imagining we have a little bit of time left unless we're out of thoughts, but it's kind of a... I think we tidied that one up pretty nicely. Okay, yeah. well... Yeah, we can save our next topic for the for the next episode because I've got an idea for us. <laughs> All right, sounds good. That was, that was nice. All Thank right. you. I'll see you next time. Bye.